Good morning, everybody. So we are in uh, Exodus uh, chapter 20, as Dad said. Um, Merritt and I um, spent this week uh, recovering from it. We were uh, gone on vacation uh, uh, the last couple of weeks, so it's good to be back. Uh, as, uh, as you know, uh, chapter 20 of Exodus is uh, where we find the Ten Commandments. Uh, as um, people have mentioned, they're not called the Ten Commandments until later in the Bible, but um, we know them as the Ten Commandments, and this is certainly where they are first uh, presented. Uh, I told Merritt that it's, it's harder to teach on something that everybody already knows. Uh, so we're going we're gonna, to uh, take a look at... Um, at uh, the Ten Commandments, uh, I'll say a few things that I thought were interesting that uh, came up in my study about the the Ten Commandments as a whole, and then we'll look at, um, we'll probably make it through the first three. Uh, We could probably spend a a week on each one, Um, perhaps some, maybe we will need to spend a a week on on some of them, probably, (laughs) but uh, we'll we'll go through the first uh, three for sure because uh, they kind of hang together. Uh, I'll make one comment uh, as uh, Dad wrapped up uh, chapter 19 last time. Uh, there's a section, uh, verse 21 of chapter 19, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord uh, to look, and many of them perish. And the priests who came near to the Lord consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, uh, people can't come to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain, and so forth. And the Lord said to him, this is verse 24, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you, but don't let the priests and the people break through, and so forth. And in verse 25, So Moses went down to the people and told them. So one commentator made the point that, or at least a suggestion, I guess, that that somewhere before verse 25 is when Moses actually received the Ten Commandments, and then in verse 25 when it says, so Moses went down to the people and told them, verse 1, and God spoke all these words saying. In other words, when Moses came back down then, that's when he relayed to them all the things God had said. Um, I don't really know, but the commentator later later went through and said, Kind of as we, he said, keeping up with all of the uh, going up and coming down of Moses up and down Mount Sinai is kind of tricky. Uh, so we'll see that. And this is just one of those examples because it's hard to exactly know when it all happens. But in any event, um, God um, gave uh, this uh, precious word of instruction to Moses for the benefit of sharing with everyone else. And that's what's going to happen uh, in these verses. So uh, here we have God's words. It, it says in verse 1, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Uh, Dad talked about this a little bit, um, but one of, the, one of the points here is that all of the Ten Commandments uh, collectively um, are just one of the ways that God is revealing uh, himself to the children of Israel. Um, remember, they have been 
you know, taken out of the land. Uh, they've basically followed uh, the instruction that had been handed down from Moses and so forth. But here we have uh, an opportunity for God to address the whole group assembled there at the base of the mountain um, so that they can really hear everything uh, from God himself. So God's going to introduce himself and reveal himself to them uh, in, in a more complete way than they've had before. And as we zoom way out, what in essence is the whole Bible, right? The whole Bible that we have is God revealing himself uh, to us. And those that would say that we can understand everything we need to know about the world and how the world works just through observing nature and through our own thinking, uh, they are really missing out, right? Because uh, we don't really understand uh, the whole world unless we understand the creator who made it. And, and we wouldn't even have that if he hadn't revealed himself to us. And that's, that's what's happening here. So it says, introduces himself, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And then we lead into that. So um, it's important to make the point here because the, the Ten Commandments are kind of applied to lots of different people. In fact, we apply them generally, right? We might see behavior uh, in the world, in, in our communities, uh, in our politicians, um, and we might say, well, they're doing wrong. They're, they've obviously broken, you know, uh, more than a few of these commandments. So here's the point. When God says, I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, who are these people he's talking to? Who are, who are the people? The Israelites. Somebody said the chosen people, right? These are people who have been redeemed from slavery. These are already God's people, right? It isn't all of you who have kept these commandments get to be my people. Is that what it says? No. These are written to redeemed people. These are written to God's people. Should we expect people who aren't redeemed to behave this way? The answer is no. Should it be any shock to us when people break the commandments if they are lost? No. <coughs> It should be a shock if they don't, right? Chuck Colson, in one of his books, talked about the importance of what he calls common grace, where, where the echoes of God's work in the world do have a positive and a beneficial effect, even on those people who aren't saved. And that's certainly true. Certainly, the Ten Commandments are great guidelines for all of us whether you're saved or lost but we shouldn't really see them for rules for the world they're rules for us for the redeemed again taking this big picture view they've come out of the land of Egypt right for the first time 
They're all gathered together here at the base of the mountain. God's revealing himself to them. <coughs> What's the plan? Dad mentioned this last time. The plan is within a fairly short period of time to go get the land, right? So there, here they are. The, the, the ideal plan, plan A, is, okay, we're out. Let's come together. I'm going to tell you about myself. And then we're going to go and occupy this land. So in essence, God is saying, this is how we're going to behave. This is what redeemed people look like. This is what, you're my people. This is how we're going to act. This is how we're going to carry ourselves. This is how we're, this is who we are, right? This is a big family meeting. We're not going to behave like everybody else. We're going to have these family meetings. Now, you know, this is kind of Father's Day. We talked about Mother's Day recently. Do you ever have the family meeting, right? This is how we're going to behave. I can remember a few discussions in the past if we were going to some, you know, foreign territory, uh, like a crowd of, you know, people where, you know, they'd huddle us together. All right, this is how we're going to behave. This is what we're going to do, you know. Uh, it, a lot of context. Um, I can remember... Um, when the little parade would go through town and dad would hook us up to dog collars as, and chains so that we wouldn't fall off the roof that he had taken us to. But there was a little meeting, okay, here's what we're gonna do. You're not gonna go to the edge, right? Um, a different context, one time we went to a hardware convention. This was gonna be kind of a fancy dinner. Uh, actually, I think it was a breakfast, but there were like way more forks and knives than we used to at home. And like, okay, this is how you're gonna behave. This is how you use your tools. Um, so we, we had these family meetings and that's kind of what's happening here. This is how we're gonna behave. This is what a redeemed life should look like. Uh, one commentator put it really well. It says, the law is connected to grace. It is based on God's gracious act of saving his people. This is important. It's not a condition of becoming God's people, for that has already happened. But they now receive rules for holy living so they can, so they can become more and more God's holy people. That's what God wants for them. So God, of course, is cosmic over all creation and this is a way of transferring his perspective about how the world should work to people um, this is aside from the orderliness of creation this is arguably the the first time when God said you know this is this is what my folks are going to look like this is how we're going to behave so there's a definitely a big picture standpoint here and and you, you just can't, you can't separate it out from these, this notion of God revealing himself uh, to the people uh, to say, um, this is how we should look like. As another commentator says, uh, the focus of many of these commands is to foster social cohesion, which serves not merely to make the Israelites nice people, but to make them agents of world change, image bearers of God to be a light to the nations. If you have a whole bunch of people who are worshiping one God, who are taking his name seriously, who are all resting on a particular day, who are honoring their parents, not committing adultery, not stealing, not doing all these things, is that going to look different than the rest of the world? Yes. 
<laughs> it will. Um, so one of the reasons is so they'll know how to behave and that's going to look different than the rest of the world. And that's why, you know, in a way we should maybe give a little more grace to the people that aren't saved. At the same time, tidy up our own house so that we can be that light. What's the, one of the most damning things you can say about a Christian from the outside? What do they say? We are all a bunch of... And, of course, we say, yes, we are. But we're saved hypocrites, and we're trying, and this is... We all agree on what the rules are. Um, we're getting there, or at least we're trying to get there. So let's, um, let's look. Verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Does that seem pretty clear? <laughs> Seems pretty clear to me. Um, sometimes things say things... All right, let me rephrase it. Sometimes I hear things... That aren't there. I read, you shall have no other gods before me. What I hear in my head is, the Lord God is one. There is only one God. Now, we do hear that later, right? In Deuteronomy. Years, decades even later, we hear, the Lord our God is one, right? That's the Shema that, that the Israelites learn. Um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the, God, your, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, might, and so forth. That's where we hear the Lord our God is one. He's not getting into all that yet. He doesn't say there's only one God. It just says you shall have no other gods before me. For the last 400 years they have been in a polytheistic culture. They have been in Egypt where there were many, many gods. What was the point that we said about the plagues? That pretty much every plague was showing the power of God over the individual gods of Egypt, right? In fact, God even says, I've shown myself to be more powerful than the gods of Egypt. So, God's not saying that there, this isn't saying there are a bunch of other legit gods. It's just God's not giving them the whole story right just yet. But he is saying, you shall have no other gods before me. So, there's no condemnation yet. You know, they may have brought some, you know, some uh, vestiges of the polytheistic world with them. Uh, and now he's getting them together saying, all right, you shall have no other gods before me. That is, that's the rule. Um, I don't think it's any accident that this is what we call the first commandment, or this was the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. In fact, many people have said, if you get that one right, you're pretty much got the rest of them. You shall have no other gods before me. If there's anything that you put ahead of where you put God, problems are going to happen. When we, when we talked about uh, Isaiah and, you know, the work about idols and just, you know, this was a struggle for the people of Israel. It is and was their main struggle throughout, <laughs> throughout the Old Testament 
they just had a problem with this. They had a problem putting God first. And yet, what's God say? Put me first. No other gods before me. I'm first in line. Um, this, they had a problem. Um, it was mentioned that in 1 John, when you know the writer, you know John the writer, this is probably one of the last books in the Bible written. <coughs> right? John was old when he died. So here we have, and in the the last thing that John said, which is essentially one of the last things in the whole Bible, what does he say? Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So there is like a lot of the Bible between those two things. Many inches of Bible between those two commandments. It starts that way. It finishes that way. We should probably pay attention to that. Um, real quickly, you remember what the book of Hosea is about? What's the book of Hosea about? Redeeming love. And how did that happen? God said, go marry this prostitute. The whole picture is idolatry is adultery. Idolatry is adultery. You've left your first love. God desires, as one commentator says, God desires and deserves the exclusive love of his people. Did your idol take you out of Egypt? No. Did your idol... You know, turn the river into blood? No. Did your idol? No. God did it. God did it. You shall have no other gods before me. That's one just to like put on an index card, put it on the visor of your car, put it on the fridge. Let God apply that to you. Um, there's not, I mean, there. you either talk about it for a few days or you just let God work on it with you. Verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I the Lord your God am a jealous God. This is kind of a um, an explanation in a way, uh, an extension of the first commandment, right? Uh, you shall have no other gods before me. And <laughs> in case you didn't get that, um, I don't want you worshiping anything else, right? So in case you weren't clear, I don't want you worshiping anything else. And how do people do that? They carved things. They made things. They made images that they would have that little shrines. I, I filled in at one of the medical clinics in, in Macau one time, and, and as you walked by the little apartments, there's these little, these little shrines with the incense and little, you know, figurines and stuff, and you've seen, you know, kind of corrupted religions, and you've seen pictures of these, you know, where people have idols. I was, um, Mary and I were invited to uh, dinner one time um, by a physician who was 
um, from India, and, and you could see these, you know, idols, you know, on the mantle and scattered around. It was, it was a little creepy, uh, but the food was good. Uh, if you like spicy food, it was great. Um, but uh, it says, don't make yourself any carved image or any likeness of anything that's heaven or earth heaven or earth beneath water under the earth don't bow down to them don't serve them for I the Lord your God I'm a jealous God so there's two sides of this it's it's kind of like the first um, God deserves our exclusive attention but it's kind of you know all of these are for our benefit too right he doesn't want us to be distracted he doesn't want to be pulled away from from things that are false so it's it's for us as well um, does this mean you can't carve anything? Does this mean you can't express yourself artistically? Does this mean that, no, it's, it's, it's all about worship, right? And there, I won't <coughs> talk, look them up, but, you know, God actually tells the craftsmen to carve pictures, you know, um, images like the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, you know, God made his creative beings. Um, so so it's, it's okay to create or you know make things but you, you just don't worship them right uh, remember the the illustration of Isaiah is one of the things I remember where they said you know you're going to take this log and half of it you're going to use for firewood and half of it you're going to carve to be a god for yourself you know how stupid is that I, uh, that's a paraphrase the stupid part I, but <laughs> I, th I think it is implied in the text so again that's pretty obvious. It's worth spending a couple minutes on this extra part of verse 5 to verse 6 because, boy, this has really gotten messed up. Um, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Wow, things get complicated. You know, you shall have no other gods before me. Got it. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Wow, that gets confusing. Here's how some people have kind of talked about this. The general concept is often taught that a person's sin let's say I've, I have some sin we can assume that to be true I, I'm an alcoholic so therefore because I'm that's basically my idol that's going to hurt my great-grandchildren because of what is called generational sin. And, and my grandchildren and great-grandchildren are going to be punished for my sin. That's how this is sometimes explained. That is not what this is saying. Okay? That's not what this is saying. Um, I'll give you some examples of the corrupt way this is sometimes applied. 
just like in Proverbs, some, some things are descriptive and some things are prescriptive. Sometimes things in Proverbs, you'll have a proverb and it just, descri- it just describes what happens the way that, like this is how the world works. Well, this is how the world works. It is true, especially back in the day, it was, you would have multiple generations in the same family. Sure, there are behaviors and, and sins that, you know, if a parent is committing that sin, the effects of that sin, the consequences of that sin, are they going to have an effect on your children and grandchildren and so forth? Sure. We, that's, that's common sense. That the way, that's the way the world works. Is this saying God's going to punish somebody else for my sin? No, that's not what it's saying. In fact, there are verses that specifically go against this. Um, let's see. Uh, I'll put it in, in my notes. I won't go through them. But um, Ezekiel 18 talks about basically everybody gets punished for their own sins. Um, there, it, the, the text is there. Um, Deuteronomy 24, Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. You know, we each are responsible for our own, you know, we will sin, right? Um, and so there are implications for our own behavior. But just like we would expect the appropriate actions of parents to have positive repercussions down the road, it's no big shock that there are going to be negative implications as well. Um, Let me give you an example of some distorted teaching. And I got to say, some of this gets pulled into systems that people have come up with for explaining like spiritual warfare and demonic behavior and um, allow the Holy Spirit in you to kind of evaluate this piece of teaching. Again, in the notes, it's under the category distorted teaching. I believe that God the Father is giving all of us major revelation with this word with this verse as a result of a sinning parent's severe transgressions against the Lord sometimes demons will be allowed to attach to the sinning parent once the demons attach to the sinning parent they will then attempt to try and jump and transfer down to some of the children in the family to form out a curse line if this curse line ends up getting formed out then the demons will follow that child into his adult life and try to get them to commit the same types of sin their sinning parent had been committing This is why alcoholic fathers sometimes produce children that end up becoming alcoholics themselves as a result, all as a result of a curse line that had been formed between that child and his alcoholic father with demons then feeding and operating on that curse line trying to influence a child to go in the same direction his sinning parent had been going in. The Bible does not teach that. Okay? It just doesn't. Um, If... Uh, you may have heard stories about, well, you know, I struggled with such and such a sin, but until I 
uh, specifically ask God to forgive the sin of my granddad who was involved in it. I can't find any of that in the Bible. When you're saved, you're saved, you're saved. Um, here's another one. Just as other demons don't automatically leave at the time of salvation, neither do the demons that you get from your ancestors automatically leave you either. Let's say that you accept Jesus at age 15 because you were born a sinner and outside of God's covenant, you were still living under the curses handed down to you and demons can enter you through those curses. Once you've accepted Jesus, those curses are broken automatically, but often the demons that entered in before you accepted Jesus still need to be cast out. No. 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 The Holy Spirit's in me. That's the only spirit in me. So, we all know just because something's on the internet, it's not true. You know, these two passages were drawn from Christian websites where I scanned and a lot of their teaching is orthodox. But then you have stuff like this pulled in with it and you know it gets tainted and that's why it's important for us to always like dad says over and over you know go back to the book go back to the bible if it's in there it's in there if it's not in there be really careful right um we constantly need to evaluate and test these things um we can spend more time about that but does everybody have that right um to, to think any other way is really to say what Jesus did on the cross wasn't enough. And anytime you start to say what Jesus did on the cross wasn't enough, you're, in, you're, in, uh, you're just in bad territory. Nothing good's going to come of that. Jesus was always enough. All right, let's do one more. Verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The root here apparently uh, means the word false. Uh, don't spread, a, as in don't spread a false report about someone. Um, so this may mean um, uh, don't say something false about God. Don't say something that uh, is against who he is or changes his reputation or compromises his honor um, he deserves our respect we're supposed to speak highly of of him obviously worship him um, he's at the top so again this is just a manifestation of verse 3 the things we say should reflect that right um, One commentator said the third commandment is directed not toward Yahweh's protection, but toward Israel's. Yahweh's name must be honored, blessed, praised, celebrated, invoked, pronounced, and so shared. To treat Yahweh's name with disrespect is to treat his gift lightly, to undermine his power, to scorn his presence. One of the most awesome things that happened when Moses was at the burning bush was what? He learned God's name. 
the most amazing thing that has probably happened to a person up until that point in all of creation in God's name. God, again, revealing himself, and that is a gift that we should cherish. Is this a verse about profanity? Nope. There's other verses in the Bible about that. Um, But think about some of those other gods, polytheism, um, back in Egypt. Um, Remember the magicians? There were probably hexes and curses and you know, ways of invoking deity back then um, that might have been common language for those people who had just come out of that culture. And this is God saying, nope, that's not the way you speak of me. It's yet another distinctive, um, the way you treated those other gods, that's not the way you treat me, right? That's, it's just, it's different. It's just different. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So, you know, that's why, I mean, if you swear, like in court, um, I don't, uh, we, it's another topic in the New Testament talks about don't swear, don't swear, you know, people come down on different sides of that. But if you're going to swear using God's name, it better mean something, right? It shouldn't be in vain. It better, it better mean something. All right. We better quit. Um, I will, um, if you want an interesting debate, look at the, I'll post the notes. Uh, I found a very interesting um, little uh, rabbit chasing, like Dad says, uh, in one of the commentaries talking about um, this commentator's opinion on why he thinks the Ten Commandments shouldn't be posted in schools. Should not. and it's kind of a manifestation of this thing that um, the Ten Commandments weren't written for them. They were written for us. It was interesting. I'm, I'm not coming down on one side or the other, but it, it does make you really think about, um, you know, his point was these people don't need the Ten Commandments. They need Jesus, right? And if you expect people to conform to the Ten Commandments, that's not what they need. And they might start to feel better about themselves because they follow the Ten Commandments, and that way it might make them less likely to see their need for Jesus. It's an interesting argument. Um, so uh, anyway, I'll point you to that. Or right, we better quit. Any quick comments? What do we do, three today? <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would um, just, through your Holy Spirit, uh, bring it to each of us in a way that uh, cleans up all the messes that Dad and I make with it. Uh, We pray that you'd continue to reveal yourself to us and uh, through your Holy Spirit to to strengthen us uh, to be the kind of people, the distinctive people that you were calling those redeemed centuries ago, millennia ago to be, that you would uh, continue to um, mold us together so that we can be um, that, that same group of people for you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.